Hi, it's Mark Sisson. Welcome to the Primal Blueprint Podcast. It's time for another show dedicated to the world of keto. Check out ketoreset.com for details about my New York Times bestselling book and send your questions to info at ketoreset.com. This is a nice setup here with the cozy uh, We got a nice setup. Tippy Wyatt's here with me. The Asian keto cookbook is a dream come true. You it thought is. about it? Your sister? Yeah, let's saw. bring it out. Let's bring it out. We're on video here. Watch yeah. the uh, watch the podcast on YouTube if you're inclined. And yeah. I met you, what, maybe a year ago when you were talking about this idea. And go. here it is. So the viewers can see my personal copy. this fabulous cover. A Healthy Guide to Authentic Asian Cuisine. Uh, I want to hear how this whole deal went down because besides being the keto expert and the, the Tippy Tales <laughs> YouTube personality, uh, you're the, the businesswoman extraordinaire here coming out of, uh, we can go back, you know, I want to hear about your, your humble beginnings and your, your journey here to the country and then cranking it at Fresno State in the business scene and now... You can you can drop a little uh, a plug for your eyelashes, but especially going to how this this book project came about from the start. Oh, geez. Okay, so let's start from the beginning then. Okay, I was uh, born overseas. I was born in a refugee camp in Bangkok, Thailand, but my family is from Laos, and um, I was born actually on leap year. I know. I don't know how many leap year babies you've met. You mean February 29th? I mean oh, February awesome. 29th. So I celebrated my... Tippy here is seven years old now. How old are you? I am seven. Oh, I'll okay, be okay, eight yeah. next year. Oh, we're so looking forward to that. 32 years, divide that by four, you get eight actual birthdays. So next year we'll do something big. But um, I just celebrated my 31st, you know, in actual yearly years. And um, I was born on leap year. My mother actually passed away giving birth to me. And... She, I mean, it, it's one of those things. I just had a birthday. It's a miracle and a tragedy all wrapped up in a bow. And that's how my life started. I, my life started with my mother passing away. She bled to her death. And my father was a single father with a three-year-old, my older sister, Som, which is the co-author of this book with me. And, um, you know, he, he wanted to obviously come to America. He's in the refugee camps to come here. And... Did not make it with his wife, my mother, but came here regardless because that was her dream for us as well. And it was a really simple dream. I, I'm not sure if you're familiar with Laos, but in order for you to get an education, you had to be a monk, basically. That's the education you get. Women, um, poor, <laughs> very, very third country poor, was not going to get education. My father's dream was to have his daughters be college graduates in the U.S. of A. So that was one of his personal dreams for us and my mother's dream for us as well. So he immigrated here and landed in Chicago area, Illinois. And then we came to Fresno. It was a bigger population of Laotian here. So more familiarly um, of people. And um, he, uh, we were sponsored by the Mormon Church coming here. And uh, they have a lot of missionaries. They speak different languages. And um, it was really strange. I just remember early American um, memories of this white man speaking Laotian. I was just mind blown, right? And my parents didn't speak English or anything like that. So my sister and I had to teach us, teach ourselves English. My dad remarried coming here. And uh, my mother is the only mother I've ever known. So I call her mom. She's And they, um, she had 
Uh, she had a daughter from a previous marriage, and then my father and mother had three kids of their own, so we have a family of six kids. So very, very humble beginnings. We lived in a 400-square-feet apartment studio, and all of us fit in a bed. I have pictures of it. <laughs> it is it is mind-boggling to see. We just look, We were just kids, you know? We were just happy jumping on the bed, regular kids. I didn't really know that we were poor until my parents were like, we are really, really poor. And I grew up always valuing education because my father always thought that was the key to freedom. When you're educated, especially in this country, and you work hard, that's going to be that's going to be your ticket to the American dream. And so I always valued that. And as a kid, I grew up knowing that I wanted to be a business owner. Actually, I sold lemonades, the typical yard sale, all that. I was just this kid that was creative. I, I loved doing signage in high school. I painted murals, I painted signs, and that's what I did. I knew I wanted to be a business owner, and I remember telling my father, I'm going to be a business owner in something women. And um, Icona Lashes, my third business, I failed too when I started in college with a t-shirt. We broke even on that. The second one was a, a diffuser on Amazon, and when diffusers were hot, essential oils, aromatherapy, and my husband... Um, designed a more masculine, modern one that doesn't didn't look so natural or, you know, um, lack for a better term, kind of hippie-ish, right? And um, that was doing well up until there was a manufacturing defect and that failed. And then we decided to start Icona Lashes, a lighter, um, a lighter product. And that's where we're at right now. These are eyelashes? They're false eyelashes. Right. Which is, I, I now learned from you, this, and from my daughter, looking at some of the charges on the credit card. What the heck? This is a big deal, and it's expensive to maintain, right? You have to keep getting, getting them uh, put on if you're going to the salon. Well, there's two types. Uh, your daughter may be doing the, um, the ones you get in at the salon. So um, I'm not sure what your daughter's name is, but she's Maria. Maria. She's Hi, Maria. probably doing the lash extensions that you get at the salon, which are very pricey. I mean, they're about 90 to 150. Yeah, and how often do you have to go? And the fills are about 40 to $60, and it's about two to four weeks, depending, oh. how, depending on how annoyed you are of, you know, your eyelashes twisting and turning, right? I've had them done before. Um, not my personal cup of tea, just because the maintenance of it. I'm pretty low-key now with um, beauty stuff, but um, our false eyelashes are glue on, so you can take them off and um, you put them on daily if you want to. So it's a different, it's a different one, and it's the price point is um, twelve dollars. So it's not the ninety dollars one, but um, they're disposable. That's what I really wanted to get into—a product that was disposable, return customers, and so forth. And I was heavily in, interested in beauty growing up, and that was just one thing that I, how I expressed myself as a kid. Art and makeup was part of that art. So when you absorb this message even as a young kid about the importance of education mm -hmm. uh, it also occurs to me that pretty much every kid today even the kids from the most privileged backgrounds and everything in between get this message from their parents that education is so important and, and going to college and going all that uh but i'm wondering like did you feel any pressure at a certain age you know where you're now your grades and your educational track has been perceived or presented as the end all. And, you know, now we're looking at the fallout from the helicopter parenting scene and the overpressurized kids 
it seems like particularly among the influent communities where the kids, you know, gonna gonna go off the rails because they got a B and they're not gonna get into selective college. But I wonder how that vibe was for you, especially immersing into American culture and going to high school with competitive kids or whatever you face there in Fresno. Right. Um, I definitely felt pressure. I think that it's a, I grew up in a really traditional Asian household and the stereotypes of having that Asian father strict, that was, that rang true in my household, 100%. And, you know, they always wanted us to be great. And then when I got a B in AP comp as a progress report, right, AP composition, writing course, six week progress report, B. Tippy, you speak English every day. How could you get a B, right? You know, like it was unacceptable. And um, it was always striving for excellence. So I felt a pressure from a very, very young age. And I think I always had that pressure because, I mean, I'm not, I'm not afraid to admit this. I always had a chip on my shoulder about life growing up, Brad, because I knew there was a life given for me and it's a gift. So I felt pressure to always see it as a gift, do my best in my life because of the fact that my mother gave up her life so that way I can be here. Cause it could have been the other way around. Absolutely. And so I always felt pressure that I needed to be great because a life was given for me and how dare I waste it. Right. I put that pressure on myself and, um, I think subconsciously my father, my family, you know, um, there was definitely pressure there, but I, I knew I always wanted to be somebody and I didn't, necessarily know exactly what it was, but I knew within the realms of it. And education was the first, um, you know, the first thing that my parents wanted me to get into and be great at because having a college education, being, having an education period in the States is an absolute privilege. Learning the ABCs, learning how to write all of that stuff. That was, that was something that was really valued. But now, yeah, there is a fallout with a lot of things, a lot of pressure, and I think, I don't know, it wasn't, it wasn't the same. I don't think back in when I was going to grade school and elementary and all that, it wasn't the same as it is now. Yeah. Um, I mean, I grew up in a, in a, I knew the opportunities, I knew opportunities could be there if I did well in life because I lived in, I lived in really poor conditions and I knew that I didn't want that as as my life. But yeah, there was always pressure. There was always pressure to do well, no matter what, to do well in school and to be kind to people. When you go to different parties and things like that, there was always pressure from me, but I, um, I didn't really have a childhood. I would say, you know, it was, I was always working. My parents, um, rented a couple acres and all our summers were dedicated to packing oriental vegetables carrying it, 50 pound boxes of Thai chilies. They were very common to me. So one thing I knew more than anything, and I saw it from example, was how hard my parents worked. Yeah. So there's some influences in there that are a little different than the overpressurized teenager who goes and decides to crash their convertible BMW that they got at age 16 and, you know, stick the middle finger out to life and all the pressure on, on, on AP English. Maybe they're sitting in the same <laughs> class as you, but it seemed like you had this sort of baseline uh, level of respect and appreciation for where you've come from, uh, what the stakes are in a sense that, you know, your, your education is the, the key to uh, a bright future and that possibly could keep you, keep you focused and on track, even though 
maybe it, it, there's some difficulty there with you know going overboard and not not being able to enjoy yourself or be able to take a breath and relax. Yeah. I learned cooking from a very young age with my sister here. <laughs> so um, we cooked, we cleaned, we um, dedicated our summers to working. It was it was a completely different atmosphere than the privileged BMW 16-year-old driver, completely. Um, I was always taught, no matter how... I mean, Fresno summers are intense. They're 110, 115, and we were working. And I was always taught that um, we were still lucky in those conditions, you know? I mean, we got, we, we picked the vegetables. We got paid. Yes. You know, get to and, eat free, free food while you're oh, working. Oh yeah, absolutely. Vegetables. Right. Like we didn't buy vegetables. Of course we grew them. And I was always told how fortunate we were, Brad, no matter what, like you're fortunate because my father would tell us stories of there was one chicken. If it laid one egg family of four, we would have to split that one egg in four. That was Each, your father's childhood. Yeah. yeah. And I got a quarter of an egg and yeah. I had one pair of pants, one sloppy sandal, you know, um, barely hanging on and one pair of trousers. It's trousers they wear more so. And then, um, a top and they would wash, you wash that every day. That was his closet. Like you have two pairs of shoes. You were able to have options. That's that's something. That's perspective. Yeah. He gave me perspective. Right. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, and gratitude as well. <laughs> Absolutely. And now we're, we're working so hard to <laughs> achieve that here with this overrun of affluence and privilege. And man, that's, yeah. that's pretty awesome. Yeah, so I was told, I, I was told from very early age, no matter what, it was what you had there was more than what a lot of people have in the world. And I don't think as a kid, I mean, I went through my teenage years, don't get me wrong. And I wanted the materialistic things. And I bought the materialistic things when I made money in college. I was like, whoa, making money. I'm going to go buy 200 stupid dollar jeans, right? Just absolutely blowing my money like a wild child. And that's what I did. You know, I wanted the nice luxury cars. I went through that phase, Brad. I did. Hmm. And because I didn't have that as a kid. And I was like, oh, to drive this Mercedes, to drive this, to drive that. Yeah, I got burned along the way. And I definitely... I mean, I've learned so much from that, right? Just, it's not something, it's something that I was taught also growing up that, you know, if you have those nice things, one day you could be a doctor, you could be, my my parents were always shooting for white collar jobs for me and um, for me to drive in like a nice Lexus. They love Lexus and whatnot. And so I was always taught that that was, um, that was a metric of success. Right. And I grew up and I thought that, and I... I intentionally wanted that working. I intentionally saved to get those things. And then it wasn't until I actually met my husband. I realized that was not something I wanted to do with my life anymore because he's American. It's a completely different culture. Right. And, um, he just said, well, what if you just, you know, what if you never get those that range over? What if you never get those Mercedes? Are you less of a, successful person or happy person because of that you know we were just taught because we were so poor like those were the things that we looked at with envy heart eyes all that and I went through that phase absolutely and I'm, I'm definitely not there anymore and I'm happy that I'm not there anymore because those are just frivolous expenses and I told my parents too you know I'm like now they're still saying oh so-and-so drives this they drive that and it's just it, it's a part of just the show and I and I told them I'm I'm not 
I'm not going to be that type of person in my life. That's just not who I am. And yeah, I think it, uh, it, it plays its important role, let's say, in your parents' eyes. Uh, they, they, they needed to walk into that mentality. Otherwise, they would have given up somewhere along the way when things were difficult. Mm-hmm. And so um, I guess you call it consumerism, but it's also capitalism. And we've shown that yes. um, there, there are many effective uh, uh, elements of capitalism where you get the best out of people and they work hard. But as you described, this is like the ideal um, peak performance state that we're developing in modern day tippy because you got to bust your butt. Otherwise, you're going to be um, like the, the party girl that crashes her convertible beamer and then goes and gets another one the next day. Uh, but on the other side of that mountain, um, boy... It can really mess you up if that's all you're about and you don't have that perspective that you described from the conversation with your husband. Yeah. Um, I was taught, you know, I was taught from an early age about, okay, you should definitely be grateful. You have more than the, the average person. And then I got into, you know, high school and influenced and crowds and whatnot. And it changed my perspective. And I definitely steered, you know, far from that. And I, kind of come full circle and now I'm that you know um 31 now I I I still know folks that are still much very much into that and, and I've I'm okay with that that's their life but for mm-hmm. me um you know I, I sign off every YouTube video with love and gratitude you know mm-hmm. I have my shirt mm-hmm. right here and I really mean it you know and that's all I ever have in my life and that's all I ever need in my life and that's it because I mean I have I I I have so many friends that have children and I just think, man, what kind of, what kind of generation are we breeding here? Right. What, what, what is going to become of this, of this generation now? And you and I talked before of kids not being grateful. And I, and if some kid looks up to me, 11 year old somewhere and they're like, man, Tippy's grateful. Maybe I should be grateful if I could do a little part in that. Reminds me of uh, Andre Obradovich was talking on our Primal Endurance podcast episode about there was a study with, uh, I think it was with dogs, about how it takes three generations to breed out certain qualities and characteristics. And uh, there's some uh, speculation that's the same with humans. So if you have this uh, flawed consumerism mentality that you're dispensing to your offspring, and they wake up and get perspective and, and branch out and, and become free thinkers and all that. But it's still it's still a little bit in there. It's still bred in a little bit. You can't escape it. Mm-hmm. And then it's going to have to take a long time. So to wake up, hey, before you have a kid or when your kid's four or seven or nine or, or 23. And Andre was talking about these uh, reckonings he's had as his children are adults. And now they're like super busy, peak performing, high achieving kids, just like he was when he was a parent. And he was so busy trying to provide for them and drive them and push them about how important education was. Guess what came out? These super fantastic, high performing kids that are so freaking busy, they don't have time to sit back on the porch and, and kick back with dad and, and enjoy as much as, you know, he, he sort of feels some remorse there that he created these mini me's. And that was a heavy conversation for me, too, because like, we all want the best for our kids. My gosh, your parents want the best for you to, to cross the globe under difficult circumstances to go for that education. We also want to have that love and gratitude along the way and keep, keep everything in check, man. That's yeah. tough. What does this have to do with keto? You know what? It seems like it has a lot to do with keto because we get into, and I think your, your precious gift to the keto community is 
um, having the, the, the proper form of motivation and mindset to do things like dietary transformation and physique transformation. So I want to get into that contest that you, you run with your husband and, and friends. Uh, but I guess we could transition into uh, how you got so interested in the, uh, the diet health part of the, the story. Oh, geez. Okay. Uh, you grew up on vegetables. We know that. Yeah, I was never a terrible eater, I would say, but I was never the greatest. And I've been very fortunate that, you know, um, my parents weren't into sweets. But I think that was the saving grace for me because it wasn't something in our um, upbringing where you finish your food and you got an ice cream cone at the end. There was never a reward at the end. It was just you eat what you eat. If we have duck jello, blood duck jello here, you don't want it. Well, too damn bad. You're going to bed hungry. Chances are you're going to wake up in the middle of the night. You're going to eat it. You know, it, we couldn't, we didn't have, we didn't have the luxury to be picky as kids. So we ate whatever was there. And so that obviously um, helped us with our authentic tongue and taste buds. And we didn't get in, I didn't get into sweets. And that was really fortunate of me. But when I met my husband, and about six years ago, he fully admitted to me that he was a sugar addict. And oh, I didn't know no. what that was. I really didn't, Brad. I just said, what is a sugar addict? That sounds made up. It completely uh, made American up. American right? person yeah. like <laughs> a candy bar. Oh, brutal, man. He He's, told me. Here comes your, yeah. here comes your impure, impure influence for the first time. Right, oh, no. exactly. Thanks, What's going to happen? Yeah, so he... Admitted to me, fully admitted to me that he was a sugar addict. His family had been a sugar addict. He's he wasn't. Like, You've been dating for a while. He's like, Tippy, yes. come here, I gotta tell you something. Uh, yeah, I'm a sugar addict. Oh, <laughs> brutal. That was one of the first Anything confessions. Else you have to confess. Right. Yeah. It started when I, I saw Girl Scout cookies. We all know the infamous Girl Scout yeah. cookies. So he's reading a book, he's a reader, loves to read. And I remember going over and he's eating Girl Scout cookies. And he's like, do you want one? I said, yeah, sure. This was like eight years ago before we moved to Austin. And then he, gave, he gives me one. And I have half of one, right? And I put it aside. And he's like, oh, okay. That's really strange. He's not eating the whole cookie. It's weird. And then it be, and then he ate the whole box. And then there was more boxes on his nightstand, like in the drawers, Ooh, right? nightstand. Not a good place. Nightstand. Kitchen, not great yes. either, but nightstand, that's yes. trouble. Absolutely. So he had stacks in his nightstand and I just thought, Oh wow. He just ate the whole box just like that. You know, that was really strange. I've heard of people eating a whole box of Oreos, but I've never witnessed it. You know, <laughs> I know it sounds weird. And so we started dating and we moved to Austin. Um, that came up again. He's like, I'm, I'm such a sugar addict. Like I, I love, love sugar. I can't have just one bite. It triggers dopamine, all this sensory in me, and I got to have more. And for you, you could have a tiny bite of C's candy, which I did once, and I put it away, and I hid it, Brad. And he went to go find it, and he knew where it was, and he ate it. Ryan, I know you're going to be listening to this. This is a true story. And I just thought, what? Are you kidding me right now? Milk, chocolate, almonds are the only thing I wanted out of the C's candy box, and you ate it? And he's like, I told you, I'm uncontrollable. And that's when he started diving into getting his health together because he was having back issues from the weight gain. And he was gaining weight around, you know, the, the midsection heavily. And his back pain, he had a pinching nerve. This is what he's in his 20s. He's a young dude. Young dude, 28, right? Aye, aye, aye. Young dude. And um, he went to go see a, a doctor. A doctor says, okay, well, yeah, you have some back pain. And um, 
you know, not bad enough to get back surgery, but not, um, not good enough to live with. I went to go see a chiropractor. He said, hey, listen, if you just lose some weight around your midsection, maybe that'll help the pinching, you know, or relieve you from that pinching. And um, he started diving into the internet, right, of how to lose weight and all this stuff. And he does immense, immense research before he does anything. And he's reading this blog, Mark's Daily Apple, like religiously, okay, every day. While eating his Girl Scouts, while he's yeah. before he's going to make the plunge. Before the plunge, right? He reads all of these transformation stories, and he's going into it, the primal paleo, the way that humans are supposed to eat, the evolution of humans, all of this, right? And I, I see him always reading and whatnot, and I see the blog up, but I don't think anything of it. And then one day out of the blue, he says to me, this was six years ago, hey, I, I need to lose weight. I need to lose weight. I feel horrible. He was over 75 pounds overweight. And um, he couldn't live with himself like that anymore, he said. You ever worn a 25-pound weight vest at the gym? You know, the, have you ever worn one of those? I haven't. If you put on a 25-pound weight vest, people, it is like, it'll drag down your workout, something else. And you think about three of those weight vests yeah. on, unbelievable. Yeah. 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 It, it does equate to that, right? And so he said, I need you to do this with me because I was a heavy carb being Asian rice was every day noodles rice all of that I was cooking I was getting into cooking at that at that time because I had my own place and exploring in the kitchen he just said you know I I can't I can't do this without you I need wow he said that to me he's throwing down he was throwing down he said I can't do this without you and I just thought, I was 23 at the time, I just thought, OMG, this is the first time in my life that I'm actually considering giving up rice and giving up noodles. Like, I, Asian, like you eat rice and eggs, you eat rice and bacon. In the morning, you eat rice and vegetables. Every dish comes with rice or no, rice noodles. And I just thought to myself, wow, I, I can't believe I'm considering this. And he said, can you please do it with me for my health? And I just, I couldn't say no, Brad. I couldn't say no to that. Here I am in love with this man. I want him to live his best life. That means he's got to be in his best health, right? How am I supposed to say no to that? So I went cold turkey. I know. It's, it's like I can't believe I went cold turkey. I just said, okay, let's go in the cupboard and let's throw away these rice sticks and rice noodles and all See this. that video on Tippy Tales on YouTube, or maybe not, but wow. Yeah. Is this in Austin? Perfect place this was for an awesome. going paleo. Love it. All right. We went and then we found picnic. I don't so know. So this you know. dude's got his girlfriend lined up. He's in Austin. <laughs> He's got no excuses. He can go down to the, yes. the the whole the biggest Whole Foods in the world. He's ready, man. He's ready to succeed. That's when my health journey started. It was when I went mm. um, paleo with Ryan, and um, he was eating bacon and eggs. Like you know, he was just eating what he was like the fat, all of that, and his weight just started shedding. Wow. Shedding and shedding, and I just so thought, he was up at uh, how, what was he starting at? His two seventy five. Two seventy five. Yeah. So he, he two hundred would have been yeah. his goal, whatever. Okay. Yeah, and sure enough, he lost all the weight, Brad. He lost all the weight. I kid you not. And then after that, uh, you know, he started feeling great about himself, and you know, he proposed, and we got engaged, and all wow. that. Wow. You know, uh, we were struggling. We were so dirt poor. He was donating his money for plasma, $20 gas money in Austin. We were so dirt poor. And 
we were paying $300 each for rent, like a $600 apartment. And we were rooming with um, our really nice gentleman, Nishant. You know, he was an engineer that just moved to Austin. And we were so, so dirt poor. And after all that, it just, when he got his health back, things just from us, both of us just started, just started happening. We're like, okay, we feel good about ourselves. Obviously our confidence, you know, level was higher and he, he ended up getting a good job and, you know, all things just started working out for both of us. And it started with us getting, getting our health, but I didn't, I didn't, I didn't seek it on my own. I have to say. Did you notice any health improvements or changes? I, I assume you were at your usual fighting weight. Um, so it wasn't like a weight loss journey, but no, it wasn't, it wasn't a weight loss journey for me, but I, I definitely put on some weight when I was in Austin. I was, I was 25 pounds heavier <laughs> oh, than I was well, now. Okay. Yeah. So I put on um, quite, I was my heaviest in Austin cause I was still drinking. I was going out. I was being um, gluttonous in every way, you know, just exploring every restaurant there was there. Didn't think about health. But Austin's a very fit city. Like, you, you know, you, you know this. You go there, nobody owns a shirt on the park. They're just running <laughs> around. It's Matthew McConaughey right. city, right? So, um, Barton Springs. Exactly. Oh my gosh. Exactly. So, um, yeah, it was a really big transformation. And um, that's where our, our, our interest in health started. We went paleo for the first time. And then we've tried some other things along the way. But... Nothing that would, I honestly would stick. I did the fitness diet for a fitness photo mm. shoot. That was horrible. That was low, low, low fat. I mean, dry, like, couldn't do salt, dry chicken breast with broccoli, steamed broccoli. It was awful. Right. And I vowed to myself, I would never, ever, ever do something in health that I did not enjoy ever again. Uh-huh. So I don't eat anything I don't enjoy. Uh-huh. I, don't, I don't do any type of exercise I don't enjoy. Like, I am not doing that. If I'm with somebody I don't enjoy, I'm not hanging out with you anymore. That's just, that's part of health, right? Sure. Your circle and everything. I just said, no way. So when I went keto in 2018, it was when we moved back to California. Oh, so you decided to move back to California from Austin? Yes, we did. Um, we moved here for a lot of different reasons and um, personal reasons. And we, um, we were living with my sister and we were renting a room from our house and I honestly just let myself go. I went down this. So in Austin, you guys got it pretty tight. You got yep. your paleo going. Correct. Much weight was shed between the couple of hundred pounds. Yep. Wow. Yeah. And I came here and then, um, I was under a whole lot of stress and, um, a lot of, a lot of changes with business, a lot of changes with life in general. And then I broke out in shingles, Brad, like full on shingles. And this would happen when I was in Paris for one of my friend's wedding. Like full on, I didn't know what it was. I did not know what it was, and I thought, "Holy moly, this is a, this is something I've never felt before. What is this?" And um, I didn't know what it was. And I go see a doctor. I came back here, went to go see my doctor, and she just said, "OMG, you are thirty years old, and you breaking out in shingles. What's going on? There must be a lot of emotional stress happening, a lot of anxiety. What's happening? Because stress is a big trigger of shingles, and." That's when I knew I was like, wow, I've, I've really lost it. And I it gained 12 pounds in three short months of being back. And I was just eating whatever I wanted to eat. And it was October to December. And I said to myself, I'm not going into 2018 like this. This is not me. I don't feel myself. I don't feel like I got control of my life. It was just something that was slipping. And it was a slippery slope, let me tell you. So I said... Tell me more about that slippery slope. That's so interesting. Yeah. And I, I, I feel like there's, we, we've studied, there's 
metabolic reasons for this, right? If you introduce uh, um, gluten and sugar into the diet, it has appetite-stimulating properties, addictive properties. But in real life, you had that momentum. You were tight in Austin, mm-hmm. um, locked into that paleo thing, having great success, too, not struggling. And you moved, and life was, life was stressful at the time. Mm-hmm. And so the slippery slope on the, on the diet side, how did that play out? Like if a if a bad day and then the next day you're like whatever like were you, yeah. were you getting negative in terms of your mindset because you had a bad day of eating or bad choice? I think being home mm-hmm. and um, feeling like I was not gonna uh, my environment, you know, being home, being in Fresno, and there's not a lot of family members of mine that care about health. To be honest with mm-hmm. you. And it, was, um, it wasn't something that I think we are the pioneers in health, Brian and I, in, in both of our families. And I just felt comfortable. I felt complacent. I didn't feel judged or I didn't feel, like, um, inspired to have, like, a six-pack or, like, lift certain weights or anything like that. And I think that, I think that when I would always bring up, like, I got to get back on it. I got to get back on it. Um, love my family to death. Love everybody to death. I'm, I'm saying this publicly, I would get told, but you're already skinny. Mm-hmm. You look great already. What are you talking about? You don't need to lose weight. Are you kidding me? All these nice compliments, mm-hmm. right, that should make me feel great about myself. But inside, I knew that I was slipping. I could be better. And that was something that I don't do anymore to anybody. So if somebody tells me, Brad, you tell me, you know, you're in great shape. You say, hey, I want to get jacked. I want to get mm-hmm. an A-pack. I would never say to you now as to be I am now, no, you don't need to do any of that. I would say, go you, let's do it. I can't wait to see you reach your goals. I would say that to you now. And I think I was getting comfortable in those like, oh, you look great. What are you talking about? You don't need to lose weight and you're, you'll get there. And it became this complacency and I was justifying it through those compliments, right? Well, and you're getting judged by those compliments. Okay, it's a positive judgment, but you're still getting judged. Absolutely. And so I like your your comeback where don't judge a person. You just hear what they said and validate it. And if I say I'm a, a lazy, fat, sorry sack of shit and I have a six-pack but not an eight-pack. Did you say eight-pack? Is that better than a six-pack? I haven't heard eight-pack. I just threw that out there. Oh, okay. Like, maybe <laughs> if you have the spinal abdominal yeah. visual. Uh, 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 yeah. Okay. So that's right. You're yeah. going down south there. The eight. Yeah. So listeners really take that to heart. I mean, because even those positive, uh, what do you call them? Affirmations. It's still judgment. You're still characterizing the other person in your eyes. And yeah. um, not to say anything about your own family, but a lot of times. Yes. Those things are laced with a little bit of something. I don't know what it is, but it's maybe the crab in the bucket uh, mentality where they don't want you climbing too high. Correct. And I, that's what I also realized too. It was like, you know, I was, it's, it's like skinny shaming in a sort of way, right? And, and body oh, shaming. And skinny shaming. shaming. Body shaming. It's like, I think oh, that could be the title of the podcast. <laughs> Tippy tales on skinny shaming and other important matters. Yeah. If, if someone's not comfortable in their own skin, they want to lose weight or they want to train for something and they want to get jacked. Let's just say they are underweight, right? They're not obese by any means, right? But they feel like they could be better. They could, they feel like there's improvement and there's always room for improvement. And I'm, I'm always one of those. And people are like, are you kidding me? So I always felt like it was uncomfortable for me around my closest family and friends to 
voice anything about being more physically, um, you know, attractive or physically fit in any way because I would get told, hey, you, um, you're not fat, by the way. You know, it would be justified why I should not, why I should not go to the next level. And I think I felt really comfortable in that and I let it get the best of me. And um, my anxiety, I just, it felt good eating and I definitely was stressed eating those three months. There's no doubt about it at all whatsoever. And wasn't in my character, wasn't who I wanted to be. And I just said, okay, three months of this, I'm putting the brakes on this. And that's when I found keto. I'd heard of it. Um, I worked for a vitamin supplement company. It was really, really big in the 90s. We were um, uh, we were selling a lot of products, keto-related. But uh, I just said, I'm gonna, I love fat. First of all, I am a big fat eater. Like that was something that people were like, how could you eat a ribeye steak like that and be still be thin? I'm like, you know, I just, I don't care if I even get fat from this. It just tastes good. Right. And I always loved fat growing up. And I just said, you know, if I'm doing something, I want to do something I enjoy. Like I said, 2018, I'm not doing anything I don't enjoy. I'm not eating anything I don't enjoy. I'm not working out the way I don't enjoy. So I decided, all right, I like fat. Let's try a high fat diet out. Let's go keto. And I, I did my research. That was actually my very first tippy tails is my keto transformation, 31 day reset. Yeah. I bought your book and then we went down that road and I was going to do it for 21 days, 21 day reset. And then after 21 days, I took my after photo and I said, Nope, I'm going to do it all of January. I'm going to go for another 10 days. So I did it the first through the 31st of January. And like the biggest thing for me was the mental clarity that I hadn't had mm -hmm. in 2018. I didn't 17. Yeah. Yeah. 2017. Excuse me. Yes. And so that was, that was the biggest thing. I was like, wow, I feel, I feel sharp. I feel smarter. I feel like I could, I could look at something and I could aim and, and I could, I could hit on the bullseye. I didn't feel that way with any other type of diet. And I, you know, I did the low fat diet. Oh my gosh, that was horrible. Wow. HG diet. And I just said, I love, love eating. I love eating fat. I don't want to feel guilty for it. That's so good. right out of the gate, did you have absolutely no problem due to the delicious uh, satiating meals or did you feel any, uh, lingering, you know, challenges because you had kind of spun off the, uh, off the, uh, the fast track when you started keto? Yeah. I went through three weeks of having keto flu. Really? I didn't want to, <laughs> I didn't want to take any supplements or anything like that. I wanted to see how long my body would say, hey, we're done with this. And I know it was a hazing phase for me. And I had withdrawals, absolutely, absolutely, 100%. It wasn't easy. There were days where I couldn't even lift my head off of the pillow because I had such a big headache. I was nauseated. I I felt like I was I felt like I was dying some days. And it was really bad. But after three weeks, I said, okay, I'll just drink some bone broth, get some electrolytes going in here, tap some light salt on my tongue. I was fine after that. Week three... Um, I just wanted to ride it out to see how long my body would go. Just wanted, just wanted to suffer a little I bit. I wanted to suffer a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. And um, Now, do you think yeah. those symptoms could have been uh, addressed by starting out bone broth all the way and getting your sodium up? Because a lot of times the keto flu is possibly attributed, maybe every time is attributed to a flawed approach. Mm -hmm. Maybe you weren't perfectly ideally ready because you had spun out in, mm -hmm. in, uh, in the Fresno scene, mm -hmm. but is that a necessary stepping stone for keto or can we, can we skate past that with a more dialed in uh, electrolytes and nutrition profile? 
I think you can, absolutely. So you don't have to do as Tippy yeah, uh, don't. says, not as she did. Because I, <laughs> exactly. I don't think, I don't, I don't have high hopes for people making it through that three weeks. You, your, your resolve <laughs> and discipline is higher than the next person out there. So we want to do it in, in a way that is delicious meals from start to finish. Absolutely. And I, uh, I 100% agree. I think I could have taken the whole bone broth and light salt. And I knew about that. It's not like I didn't know about that, Brad. You know, I just took the whole entire, let me see, let me see how this rides out type of approach. And that was my first time, you know, doing a full on reset. And of course I was having carb withdrawals. My body was so addicted to carbs and it was burning carbs. It was not a fat burner by any means. And so I definitely, you could avoid all that 100% by taking a more proactive replenishing your electrolytes obviously you go to the bathroom a whole lot more and la da so you got through the three weeks and you started to feel better uh-huh. and then man taking off viral youtube videos tell us <laughs> tell us how and that this is 2018 so we're uh we're recent history but now everybody knows tippy tales from the costco shopping tour among <laughs> other among other uh, awesome videos Thank you. Wow. Um, yeah, so that was my very first video. I didn't know how well it was going to do. It was my, I felt really vulnerable and kind of uncomfortable in front of the camera because I've never, I've never been, I've never shared publicly my story, my body, my before and after, all of that. I felt like, oh man, this is, um, I'm putting myself up for the pickings here. Don't worry. Not that many people will see it. <laughs> Only 700,000 exactly. or whatever. Okay. So that, that video did go viral, and I think the um, I wasn't expecting that. I was just wanting to get it out there and help people, and I did help a few friends and family, and then it just started trending, and out of nowhere, it just became, hey, you're the keto girl, you know, and you like Asian food, and it was just like one of those things, and like, oh, man, and I wanted to write a cookbook at that time, and I was like, you know what would be really cool if I wrote a cookbook? And I pursued my life dream of putting together a cookbook. And then I told my husband I wanted to. He's like, what are you going to do? And I said, keto. And then he said, well, everybody does keto. It's all dairy-based keto. Like, are you just going to do that? I said, yeah, maybe, probably. And then he said, listen, I think you should do Asian keto. You love Asian food. You're really good at cooking it. And I think you should do Asian keto. And I was like, I don't know. I don't know. For so long, for a couple weeks. And then I asked my sister. Because she was the best cook. I knew. I said, hey, what do you think of this idea? She's like, it, it could work. It could work. I said, hey, do you want to come on with this project with me and do this with me? She said no three times to uh-huh. me. Three times she said. She said, no, I'll just help you. You can be the face of it. Hi, Sam. Hope you're yeah. listening. Yeah. She knows the story very well. So, yeah. And she finally said yes. She, there she is, smiling. Big, giant yes, yes. on the cover. you got to be persistent sometimes, right? And um, we started working on the Asian keto cookbook, you know, after my reset. So I felt like oh. that was like the, I was done with that. And then I went straight into, okay, what are we going to do for cookbooking and whatnot? And then the video just started taking off more and more. I did a, what I eat in day video, intermittent fasting and keto. And that took off too, which I didn't anticipate as well. It was just me perusing around a day, you know, and this is what I eat. Is that when Ryan made the cameo That's in the when, background? Yeah, I remember yeah. that video. That was good. That video was um, a yeah, fun video. Yeah, like, hi, Ryan. It's just some, <laughs> some dude waking up going to get breakfast in his kitchen. Yes. Little did he know that, you know, yeah. hundreds of thousands of people. I forget what he was wearing, if he was wearing a shirt or not, but now, he, <laughs> now he's a public figure. Yes. Yeah, he is now. And so that cameo was like, 
um, I mean, that video, that video did go viral too. And I just thought, man, this is crazy. I'm just, I'm just a girl that wanted to help people. And now this YouTube thing is happening. So, so this Asian keto cookbook, you guys wanted to hit a niche here, especially because we're sort of getting narrow with our food choices and maybe missing out on, I guess you, you mentioned rice and noodles is the, the centerpiece of any Asian diet. So is this sort of a way to uh, bring back the Asian influence but uh, stay aligned? Yeah, absolutely. So one of the things that I knew that I could not do was go without Asian food long term. It wasn't going to be sustainable for me. <laughs> I was all into sustainability. Remember, I'm thinking long term, thinking right. grit, you know, long game here. And I just said, you know, if I'm just going to do this whole uh, cheese and meat thing and I'm, I'm missing out on something I really love, which is Asian food. Let me find a way to incorporate this into my life. So, yeah, it definitely is along those lines for sure. And how's Sam's uh, journey been into the keto scene? Did she jump all in or is she just kind of coming from the cooking angle and learning learning how to cut the carbs back? Or how did you guys work together on that? Oh, man. So I when I went through my keto reset the 1st or 31st of January, I um, asked her, to come along with me. And she said, yeah, I'll do it with you. So she went three days. And then she said to me, she's a, she's a registered nurse, by the way, that's her background. This is a true story. She texts me out of the blue. She says, I don't want to have a heart attack. Mm -hmm. I kid you not. She said that. And I said, okay, you don't have to do anything. You don't want to do If You feel you're going to have a heart attack on keto day three. You can quit. You can quit. Mm. I told her that. We have text messages. Mm -hmm. <laughs> receipts. Proof. We have receipts from this. So she says, okay, I'm not going to do it anymore. And I said, all right. So I continue along my journey and I did it. And I did my 31 day and my before and after. And she was blown away with my results. So she said, okay, I'm going to try it now. Because she saw that I got results from it, right? And she decided to try it. Now, um, my oh, So sister, the results, was this uh, getting that 12 pounds off that came yeah. up really quickly? Yeah. So you got back into um, uh, better than you ever have. No, that was also a, had the mental clarity so that you, yeah, yeah, that was the first thing. Now at the end of the year, that's when I got into my really best shape. Oh, right, the challenge. Yeah. yeah. And that before and after was just, you can, a blind person can't miss the before and after, you know, <laughs> it was just, it was that dramatic. So when I went, when I stopped, she saw the results, she decided to go keto and, um, my sister, um, was suffering from thyroid issues. She has Hashimoto's. And so she said, well, I'm going to see if this can work and whatnot. And I sent her a video on a, a gal hearing her Hashimoto's from going keto. And she was inspired by that. And so all of February, she went keto and she lost 16 pounds going keto. And then she went back to her endocrinologist. I kid you not. Her endocrinologist said, what have you been doing? Your thyroid is normal. And she said, the keto diet. And he's like, oh, what is that? He, uh -huh. yeah, it's like, yeah. what? What is that? And then she told him, and you know what's funny is, he's on keto now. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's how you uh, make change happen in the universe. Yeah. Whether they're resistant or not, you're, yeah. you're looking at walking, talking examples. It's hard to, hard to challenge that. And now she's pregnant, so <laughs> she is... She got fertile. She yeah. got this. She got that. Yeah, she was wanting to have a child for a long time, and oh. so um, she got pregnant, which I was really, really happy for her. And so she's not keto now. She's um, She is eight months, I want to say, she do April. Yeah, April, May. Yeah, so seven, eight months pregnant. 
Wow. But. So then we want to keep our game sharp, and we get toward the end of the year, and this little challenge comes out, which was fascinating to me. We talked about it off, off the recording, but mm-hmm. uh, always looking for ways that you can, you can kind of balance that need for uh, a, a, a positive motivational state and enjoying what you're doing, but also uh, you know, putting some competitive elements in there and some accountability. So yes. who, who won? How did it go? What was it all about? So the 12-week challenge was... 12-week challenge, okay. Yeah, it was October through um, the end of the year. That's what it was. So the tail end of 2018. So I started my keto journey the beginning, and then I really closed off um, uh, the 2018. And it was for the best abs, the best physique, basically. And my um, brother from another mother, Peng, challenged Ryan and I to it. And we were um, now roommates. We're all living together now. And... He said, okay, I bet you by the end of the year I could, I could, I could get better abs than you guys and I could get better physique. And I just said, yeah, I'm game. Let's do this. I didn't think twice about it. And then the idea of recording it came up. Like, do you think you want to put this on your YouTube channel and vlog it? And I just thought, oh, man, because most of the videos I was doing was more so uh, – it wasn't a series of type of thing. And I just I don't know. I don't know. It really wouldn't would really require a lot of commitment for me. Vlogging every day for 90 days straight, having the camera right next to me, pulling it out for what I ate, what I drank, where I went, what I did. Like it was just constant. And I wasn't, I was telling you last week, so I wasn't sure if I was going to do it. And then the boys convinced me. They said, I think it'd be a really good heroic type of like before and after people can really see you in your element, like no makeup, just woke up, you know, sleepy eyes, hair everywhere, whatever. And um, that's what it was. And so it allowed me to be really comfortable with myself and my audience as well. And not having any filters on your face or auto-tune or, you know, any type of, like, any type of, um, any type of editing or anything like that. It was just me being raw, being who I am. And, um, yeah, I did a strength training regimen. It was three days a week, three exercise, three to four exercise nothing crazy. I was apprehensive about that because I had done lighter weights and I did high intensity interval before that. And in order to be like, in order to kind of change it up, I decided to go on a strength regimen. And my husband was the one that said, Hey, listen, you got to trust the process. And one of my top 10 tips for dieting is number two is actually trust the process. And I needed to set aside my fears of this seems so little three workouts, three mm-hmm. exercises. Cause mm-hmm. I'm, we're used to being bombarded with all of these exercise videos on Instagram, everywhere on the internet, and they're doing like 10 exercises for one body part, <laughs> right? They're not doing compound lifts, and so that's what I did. I did like deadlifts. I know you were talking about that earlier, you know, working at your back, your legs, and your glutes, and so that's what I did, and I still have people questioning me today, Brad, asking, is that really what you did the, all the 12 weeks? The before and after looks insane. Is that really what you did? And I vlogged it every day for people to see. If you go back, that's exactly what I did week over week over week for all those 12 weeks. And people, um, a lot of of people were unsure if that was really what I did because my (laughs) results were so dramatic. I kid you not. It's beginner gains, a little bit of it, right? Because I'm not, I wouldn't say that I train on strength. I just train to look to look good in bikini, to look cute out there, right? I never trained with intent of like, I want to be stronger. Here we go. One more rep, one more pound. And I trained like that for 12 weeks. 
So um, I had intent to get stronger, and I kid you not, I did. And the results were there aesthetically, but people were a little apprehensive, especially women. They, you didn't get bulky when you when you were weightlifting. And we did. I, I can't get manly naturally. That's not that's not how it works, right? But yeah, I we put it up for the internet to vote on. We went on Reddit. We cut off our faces and just did the body shot. Really? Number one, two, just or three. Just got random voters. Just whoever. Wow. Who who do you? Who's everyone got? One, two, or three. Let's go. Yep, it was yep. just like that. Very simple. And then the votes came in, and then I ended up winning. Imagine that. And the stakes were pretty pretty high, right? Uh, we all put in fifty dollars cash, so one fifty, and um, it, we got. I got one hundred and fifty dollars in ones. I've never had it in ones. It just felt like a big load of cash, nice. and then we got a little trophy. And yeah, that was uh, that was that was a stake. And obviously bragging rights too, right? Yeah, and this is fun to, to laugh about and see your, your a whole bunch of $1 bills. But when we get into the, you know, the psychology of it, now your surroundings are all of a sudden really supportive and, and really locked into common goals. And we know that um, all kinds of social behaviors are contagious, especially obesity from the Framingham study and smoking and all these kind of things, depression, uh, where they found that it extends out in, in your social network. So when you guys had this contest, as soon as it went on, um, it was, you know, it was fostering a supportive environment, even though it was competitive and friendly swagger and all that. Um, it's, it's kind of a big deal. Yeah. And that, um, you know, I'm, I'm going to do a future video of 20, th- 20, um, 10 things I changed in 2018 that changed my life. Mm. And, um, I have it outlined and I haven't filmed it yet. And one of the things on there, just a preview is your environment. Like you said, mm-hmm. if you have, your environment does so much to you, not just your physical environment, um, but also your social environment, your social media environment. What are you looking at online and things like that? Are you fostering positivity? Are you hanging out with people that want to see you do better, that are not, you know, um, Hey, you're fine. Hey, you are. Yeah. Aren't I a good friend yeah. to tell you that? Uh, yeah. Uh, okay. And that's another thing that I, I will mention in the video is like, I just started to hang around people that were not going to, um, not going to, restrain me from my potential in this way. They don't intentionally do this subconsciously doing it, right? When we say, especially as women too, we're like, oh girl, you look so good today. What are you talking about? You're beautiful. You're that. I'm not saying that I don't feel, I'm not beautiful. I'm just saying that I could be better. I haven't reached my potential. And I, you know, I live in a house with two men. And so adopting that, like, go get it type of no complaining, no bullshit. Just go and lift. Are you going to lift it or what? You know, are you going to eat that or not? Are you going to go out or not? It's up to you. It's just like, boom, are you going to do it or what? And the boys really helped me out in that aspect. But um, I always, I, I obviously was the star of my YouTube channel and it's me doing it. But they also got to see, the audience got to see what a difference it makes when, you, when you're around people that want to see you win, that truly, genuinely want to see you win. And no matter who who it was, everyone made progress those twelve weeks. Right. Regardless, everybody everyone. wins. Yeah, but um, even the Reddit voters are probably like, "Wow, these guys are legit. I should try that with my three friends." I have never been on Reddit. That was my first time ever, and I was um, on there for a poll. Yeah, so I'm not a Reddit redditor. Is that what they're called? Redditor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but. Yeah, we got to really uh, find out what kind of relationship and what kind of support we could have on each other. And I don't want to hang around anybody that, you know, that can weigh me down in any way. Love it. Yeah. 
Tippy Tails is the YouTube channel. Tippy Wyatt, the Asian Keto and Low Carb Cookbook, a healthy guide to authentic Asian cuisine. Where do we get this? Amazon? Amazon. It is sold on Amazon. You can get it in the ebook, um, Kindle version, or you could get it on in paperback version. Right on. All right. 40 Good plus luck. recipes. Tippy, keep it up. Thank keep you. It up. Thank you for staying. Thank you so much. Appreciate it, Brad. So Chris Kelly, Nourish, Balance, Thrive, we're, we're talking about health and you're telling me a funny story about your picky four-year-old daughter that won't eat unless there's Primal Kitchen uh, condiments on the table. It's true. My daughter will not eat unless there's f***ing the Primal Kitchen Wilder. <laughs> it's, it's this cute thing, actually, she does. We have a local state park called Wilder Ranch. Oh, yeah. And uh, she calls the ranch dressing Wilder Ranch dressing. Which <laughs> we, 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 there's no way we're going to correct her on that. It's just too perfect. So, so endearing. Uh, how old um, is she? She's four. Oh my gosh. So she likes like the mayo on a Oh yeah, she so she loves those sort of we love them as well. We have uh we, we eat them all the time. We eat the mayo, we eat the balsamic, we eat the the ranch, um the avocado oil we use all the time. And, and so, you know, that's completely genuine and I don't mind talking about that because you took the pain in the ass out of condiments. I really appreciate that. What an authentic spot from Chris Kelly at Nourish, Balance, Thrive. And yes, Primal Kitchen, you can call it Wilder Ranch Dressing if you want. And uh, we'll send five cents of the proceeds over to that beautiful state park because they're, they're trying to make ends meet in Santa Cruz Mountains. Thank you very much, Chris. <laughs> it's my pleasure.